Our first scripture is from the book of Genesis, chapter 39, verses 1 to 10. Listen for the word of the Lord. Now Joseph was taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, the, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, uh, bought him from the Ishmaelites who brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. He was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw the Lord was with him, and the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. He made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From that time, he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had. The Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and with him there, He had no concern for anything but the food that he ate. Now Joseph was handsome and good-looking. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Look at me here. My master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my hand. He is not greater in this house than I am. Nor has he kept back anything from me except yourself, because you are his wife. How then could I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And although she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not consent to lie beside her nor to be with her. This is the word of the Lord. Our scripture reading continues our reading from Genesis thirty-nine eleven through 23. One day, however, when he went to the house to do his work, and while no one else was in the house, she caught hold of his garment, saying, Lay with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. When she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled outside, she called out to the members of her household and said to them, See, my husband has brought among us a Hebrew to insult us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And when he heard me raise my voice and cry out, he left his garment beside me and fled outside. Then she kept his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, This Hebrew servant, whom you have brought among us, and came in to insult me. But as soon as I raised my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me, and fled outside. When his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, saying, This is the way your servant treated me, he became enraged. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. He remained there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love. He gave him favor in the sight of the chief prison, or chief jailer. The chief jailer committed to Joseph's care all the prisoners who were in the prison. And whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The chief jailer paid no heed to anything that was in Joseph's care, because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. This ends the reading of God's holy word. May God add many blessings to the hearing of it. 
The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we've come into your house and gathered in your name to worship you. Enable us to hear your call in our lives. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts here together be found pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Our Lord, our rock, our redeemer. Amen. Friends, every week I wrestle with the text and try to figure out what it is saying to us. What it was saying when it was written, what it's saying now. And this week I have wrestled more than most. I've wrestled with this text more than I remember wrestling with any text in a long time. Because here you have Joseph, the beloved child of Israel, staying with his wife, or with uh, Potiphar and his wife, and being accused of trying to take advantage of her. And what do we do with that in light of the recent news cycle, of everything going on with Kavanaugh, with Weinstein, with Bill Cosby, with Me Too, with the Catholic Church, even in our own presbytery, uh, an article was released last week about an associate pastor who was accused of taking advantage of a teenage girl and spent time in prison. This text seems like it was ripped from today's headline. It would fit right in with any of the news articles that we read on a daily basis. So what do we do with it? What do we say? It's really hard to wrestle with. Here we have a a woman of prominence accusing her slave of trying to take advantage of her. And the master believing her and throwing him in prison. And it's something we see with priests, with teachers, with politicians. People taking advantage of other people, people assaulting other people, people harassing other people. So what do we do with this? What is it saying? We need to start with the backstory a little bit of who Joseph is. Joseph is Jacob's son. Jacob is Isaac's son. Isaac is Abraham's son. But Jacob had 12 sons. And Joseph was his favorite. They were fairly well off, but Jacob favored Joseph so much that his brothers became jealous. And then Jake, uh, Joseph started having dreams. And one of his dreams was that he was seated above 11 other stars and ruled over them. This is obviously a dream about his brothers. And showing that he might not have been the brightest bulb, in the, the he went and told his brothers that he had this dream. And his brother said, that's enough. Our father loves him more than he loves us. He's dreaming that he's ruling over us. Let's kill him. And then one of his brothers, Reuben, said, well, maybe that's going a little bit far. Let's just dig a pit and throw him in there and tell our father that he died. And then Reuben went plotting to come back later and rescue him. And while he was doing this, the rest of the brothers decided to sell him to the Ishmaelites, to sell him into slavery. The Ishmaelites bought him. They traveled to Egypt. They sold him to Portifor, where he worked as his head slave. And because the Lord blessed him, he rose to prominence, and Portifor began to trust him with everything in his house. 
except his wife. Now, Scripture tells us that he was a good-looking man. And it alludes to the fact that Potiphar may have neglected his wife. But for whatever reason, her eye turned to Joseph. And Joseph, being the good, upstanding man, rejected her advances. And one day he got so far, she grabbed his cloth and he ran away because he wanted nothing to do with her. It reminds me of the scene from Hamilton where Hamilton is uh, trying to be seduced and he sings, Lord, help me say no to this. But Joseph was successful where Alexander Hamilton wasn't. And the wife being conniving, being manipulative, being scorned, held his garment in her hand and realized she could accuse him of trying to take advantage of her. He could flip, she could flip the tables on him. And she screamed and said that when he, she screamed, he ran away. And look, here is his garment as proof. And she held that garment until Hortifer returned home. And she told him what happened. And he was enraged and threw him in prison. What is the scripture saying? I can tell you what it's not saying. This passage was preached by Paige Patterson last weekend. Paige Patterson is the, the former president of the Southern Baptist Convention. He used to be the president of the prestigious Southwestern Theological Seminary. And he preached this passage not because he's on the narrative lectionary like we are. He preached it because he was forced to resign from his various positions. He was shamed because he was accused of assault and harassment last May. And at a revival, he made his grand return. He came in like a rock star and he chose this passage to paint all women accusers in a negative light. To say that they shouldn't be believed. Because see here, Potiphar's wife accused Joseph and she was lying. Who's to say that anyone else is lying? So sure, there might be a few out there that are being honest. But for the most part, they're lying. And I think that is not a good use of this text. I don't think that's what this text is saying to us. I think he was using this text for his own personal gain to justify himself at that revival in Alabama last week. But I had that in the back of mind as I wrestled with this text. And I realized that when we look at this text, if we look at it as women versus men and women accusers and men victims, we're doing ourselves a disservice. Because this isn't about gender at all, but it's about power. This isn't a woman accusing a man. It's an employer accusing an employee. It's a master accusing a slave. It's someone with power accusing someone who didn't have any power. I was thinking about one of the early vocal leaders of the Me Too movement, Asia Argentino. She, was acu or she accused uh, Harvey Weinstein of taking advantage of her. She became an early proponent of speaking out. She helped create the hashtag MeToo that encouraged women victim of assaults to speak out and say, this happens to me too, so that people could see how widespread it was. But then the tables turned on her. And news came out that when she was, I believe, 32, 
she had a relationship with a 17-year-old actor. That there was pictures of them, that she had paid him hush money. And it wasn't about gender, but it was about power. She was an established actress. She had a hand, a foothold in the career. And this was a new actor trying to make his way, and her word could crush his career. And even if it was consensual, he was only 17, and she had power over him. And so he was the victim. He is the one that fell. She is the one that took advantage of him. I said that this text could be ripped from today's headlines. But I think it follows more similar to a headline from 1955. When a 14-year-old boy traveled to visit family in the Mississippi Delta, Emmett Till. And he went into a store where a 21-year-old white woman was working, Carolyn Bryant. And he might have whistled at her. He might, she said he made lewd comments and tried to grab her. And when her husband found out, he too, like Portifer, was enraged. But instead of throwing Emmett Till into prison, he got up some friends and they lynched him, they kidnapped him, they tortured him till he's unrecognizable and then shot him. She later said that none of it happened. She recanted her entire testimony. She falsely accused him. And I think that's the first thing that this text is saying to us today is that when there's differentiates between those that have power and those that don't have power, that God and Christ stand with those that don't have power. That Christ would have stood with Emmett Till. That God would stood, stood with Joseph. When Joseph went to prison, it says that God continued to smile upon him. God continued to bless him. God continued to lift him up. He became so trusted that the head jailer put him in charge of all the other prisoners. If we kept reading, we'd see that he began to have dreams. And eventually this would get to the Pharaoh and the Pharaoh would call him to interpret dreams. And he would become the Pharaoh's trusted advisor. When we think of the ministry of Jesus Christ, we see that he continued to stand with the powerless. He stood with the Hebrew people against the oppression of Rome. He stood with the everyday Jew against the religious authority. He stood with the lame, the blind, the poor, the prostitutes, those in need. When he announced his first sermon when he announced his ministry he read from the prophet isaiah and he read the spirit of the lord is upon me because the lord has anointed me he sent me to preach good news to the poor to proclaim release to the prisoners and recover of sight to the blind to liberate the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the lord's favor when there are situations of power differentials jesus stands with the powerless God lifts up those without power. They say that absolute power corrupts absolutely. And I don't know if that's always true, but we have certainly enough evidence any time we open a newspaper of people taking advantage of others, of those in power, uh, 
putting their will over those without, of people taking advantage of other people. Let's not forget the Beatitudes. When Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Time and again, Jesus stands with the powerless. I think the other thing that we could take away from this passage that Joseph and Potiphar's wife tells us is that God does not abandon us when we find ourselves in times of trouble. When we find ourselves hurt, broken, downtrodden, when we find ourselves wrongly accused or persecuted, when we suffer personal tragedies, God does not abandon us. God continued along with Joseph. God continued to lift Joseph off. God continued to bless Joseph. Even though Joseph was having a terrible time. I can think of almost nothing worse than being falsely accused of some horrendous crime and then thrown in prison. And the temptation to be would be to ask, why God, why did you let this happen to me? Why did you do this to me? Where are you now, God? But the answer is God is right there beside us. God is continuing to lift us up. So many times when we have personal tragedies, we become like Job's friends who say, God did this to you. You must have done something to deserve it. But God does not cause misfortune on us. God does not cause bad things to happen to us. That doesn't mean that we don't suffer misfortunes. It doesn't mean that we don't have harm, that we don't have tragedy. But when we do, God does not cause it. God continues to walk beside us, to weep with us, to lift us up, to cry with us, to carry us. And God also can work through our misfortune. And that's an important distinction. As South Carolina still recovers from Hurricane Florence, there are evangelists and, and uh, televangelists saying that, that God caused that for this sin or that sin. It happens with every earthquake, flood, tornado, hurricane. But it's not true. God didn't do this to cause harm to others because of something they did. But God is present and God can work through that tragedy. There are heroes emerging from the Florence. I saw a beautiful video that just literally had me in tears about this news camera filming a flood. And he saw this little puppy swimming, clinging for his life and trying to get onto this piece of wood. But then the water rose and he's rushed down. And the newsman put down the camera and tried to wade in and realized it was too dangerous and watched the puppy get washed away. And he realized there was a high ground and he tried to race there. And then they were filming it by helicopter. And the puppy looked just like our little puppy, Toby, which is why it was so touching to me. But in every tragedy, we see heroes 
arise. With everything that happened in Texas last year, uh, Texans linebacker J.J. Watt raised millions of dollars to help those in need. Here's someone that, that has everything he needs, and has a life set, but he created a foundation, set, and he set out to raise like 300000 and ended up raising millions and millions of dollars to help people. God doesn't cause bad things to happen, but God can work through our misfortunes for the greater good. Our closing hymn today is a hymn called It Is Well With My Soul, or When Peace Like a River. It's one that many of us are familiar with. And is written by Horatio Spafford. And I'm probably mispronouncing that, but uh, that's what happens when you know a name from reading it, not hearing it. And he had four children and a wife. He was a successful lawyer in Chicago. And they were all supposed to go to Europe together. And something came up with a case. He had to stay back for a week. So he sent his wife and children ahead of them. And as they were sailing across the sea, something happened to the boat. It sank and his entire family was killed. A week later, he was making the same passage on a different ship. And they passed by the very spot where his wife and children's sank, ship sank. He knew that God did not cause this tragedy to happen to him. That things happened. But God worked through him and he felt God's presence walking beside him. He felt God blessing him. And so he wrote the words, It is well, it is well with my soul. God did not cause that tragedy to happen to him. But because that tragedy, God worked through him to give us words and create a beautiful hymn that we're still, still singing almost a hundred years later that we still find comfort with. It still reminds us that even when we go through tragedy, God is with us and we can say to our God, it is well, it is well with my soul. Today's text speaks to us. It tells us that Christ, that God stands with the powerless. And as followers of Christ, we are called to do so as well. And it tells us that when we are powerless, when we go through misfortunes, when we suffer tragedy, that God is still there beside us. God walks with us. God is right there crying with us, wrapping God's loving arms around us. And that God can work through that tragedy. God didn't create, cause Joseph to be thrown in prison. But God works through it and later elevated him to a higher status. He was Pharaoh's personal assistant. He was Pharaoh's interpreter of dreams. That only happened because he was in prison. God can work through our tragedies. And even when we don't see it, we know that God is there with us. And we're able to say it is well with our soul. Amen.